Loving Father, thank you that Aaron could be here today, and thank you for the message that you laid in his heart. And as Kim said earlier, may we just hear you speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. It is good to be here. Amen. It is. It is fun for me to share Jesus. I look forward to these opportunities. And I am very grateful that you guys have paused long enough to sit in the chair and be in church. I like to provide. I like to hunt, I like to gather, I like to bring it home, and even to prepare it. So one day, in my hunting and gathering, I went to Costco. (laughs) And I have a list. It magically appears on my cell phone. I don't know how, yes, I do know how. I know how it gets there. And I look at the list that she gives me, and I copy it, and I stick it on notes, and I put little check marks by it, because I want to get every single thing on the list. And as I go whipping through Costco, I grab everything, and I'm all done, except my wife wants these crackers, so I go zipping, the crackers aren't there. I go down to the other place, the crackers aren't there. And it's a long ways from the front to the back. But I do it anyway because I like to hunt and gather. And I go all the way to the back and look around and I can't find them. And on my way out, I'm just a little salty, just a little upset, just a little frustrated because I still have a blank spot on my list. And remember, this was a couple months ago. I had a mask on. And on my way out of Costco, the kind lady says, did you find everything you were looking for? And being just a little salty and a little angry, I said no. As if she was going to solve it from clear up here. But I said no. She said, what were you looking for? I said, I was looking for Jesus. And she said, what? She says, I, I said, I was looking for Jesus." I love Cheez-Its. I, I mean, bag, bowl, I don't care as long as there's a lot of them. Okay? And we used to do this in the car. I don't know if you've ever done this before. We used to play a game to see how close you could get to the center without breaking the center of the, of the Cheez-Its. So you zip around and you just keep... By the way, parents, that's a great way on travel to shut the kids up. It works out really well. Just... Okay, who can get closest to the hole without breaking it? And for the next 30 miles, it's silent. It's really kind of (laughs) cool. I have nine kids. I make up these things as we go. Anyway, I was looking for Cheez-Its. And the lady kept asking me, what? And after the third or fourth try, she smiles. And she goes... (laughs) And she starts to go to the customer behind me, and I'm watching her. And she goes, at least we have Jesus in our heart. (laughs) I didn't know what to say. What 
what does Jesus have to do? And I realized I had my mask on, and she was hearing Jesus, and I was saying Jesus. <laughs> and I didn't, she went back to, I walked out of Costco on my way out thinking, huh, I'm not communicating well. Let's pray. Lord, please bring together my thoughts and my words to communicate today that we can walk out of here with Jesus in our hearts and we can grasp your grace. In your name, amen. What is Easter? Easter is grace. So our sermon title today is When Grace Comes Home. You see, we often talk about grace, we see grace, we sing about amazing grace, when in fact, grace may not be something that we use in our hearts. That in fact, grace is something that is separate from us. But what happens when grace comes home? What happens in our, as individually, do we give ourselves grace? Do we give ourselves the opportunity to just take a break? Do you give yourself a break? If not, you may need to look at the cross. And when our families, you know, we were on our way to church this morning. Did we provide, did we communicate grace? Because if there's a place there needs to be grace, it's within our very own family. That's where grace is to be, because family is supposed to be the safe place, right? So if you don't have grace in your family, if you are not the graceful person, and I might be pounding on doors and stepping on toes, but if you're not the graceful person in your family, if you're not the most gracious person in your family, you might want to look at the cross. And in our community. And in our church. Are we known as the gracious community church? Do we provide grace to the people who are outside of our church? Do we show grace to bring them in? If we're not that gracious church, if we're not that gracious person in this community, then we might want to look at the cross. So today, we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at what Jesus chose to do. But first, let me tell you a story about Edwin Thomas. Edwin Thomas, 15 years old, was astounding. Small in stature, had a big voice, but the boy could act. In fact, he was recognized as one of the better actors in New York early, early on. 
and, and played the lead role of Richard III in theaters in New York. In fact, in one place, he played in Shakespeare's Hamlet 100 consecutive nights, and it broke a record at the time, 100 consecutive nights in New York. He went over to London and was an actor among some of the most most difficult critics because it was Shakespeare. And he was accepted, even as an American. He was accepted and loved, and he in fact was one of the elite of his time. His brother, on the, hand, on the other hand, chose a different route. His brother had even acted with him a couple different times. In fact, they had another brother. His name was Junius, and they had even performed together in a play called Julius Caesar, again by Shakespeare. And they had enjoyed being in the same theater together. The other two weren't quite Edwin Thomas, but they were actors also. One night, his brother John took a gun and shot a bullet into the head of the President of the United States. His brother was John Wilkes Booth. Edwin Thomas Booth was his brother. Edwin pulled out of theater. He was ashamed. He didn't go in and act anymore. He would never set foot on stage. And in his shame, he kept behind the scenes as much as possible. One day, he was sitting out, uh, standing out on a, a platform in New Jersey for a train. And as he was standing there, in the, and there was a fairly good crowd there, a young man dressed fairly well tried to get around a couple people and give them the room, but at the same time tripped and fell down onto the railroad tracks as the train was pulling into the station. Certainly, he was going to die. Edwin wrapped his, his, his leg around the bars, reached down, grabbed the boy, pulled him back up onto the, up onto the deck, and the train came in clearly saved his life. The boy recognized immediately who had just saved his life. And he gave the guy a hug and he said, thank you very much. And Edward said, no, no big deal. Hopefully you'll do the same for somebody else someday. And they separated. And we never heard from them again until... A letter comes in the mail for Edwin Thomas Booth. The letter is from General Ulysses Grant. The letter says, thank you. 
in saving the life of the son of an American hero. And he's surprised to see that the name of the hero was Abraham Lincoln. You see the brother of John Wilkes Booth saved the life of the son of Abraham Lincoln. That's grace. For you see, if I would have been Edwin Thomas living in that shame, my life would have been over as we knew it. But we serve a God of grace. And we have choices. We have the choice to accept grace or to accept conflict. We have a choice to accept grace or to be unloved. One mother, two sons. One chose to save a life. One chose to end a life. You see, choices are available to us. We get to choose. Abel and Cain. One chose death. The other chose God. Abraham and Lot. Abraham chose God. Lot chose Sodom. And God let them. David and Saul, both kings. One chose God. The other chose power. And God let them. Peter and Judas, two disciples. Peter chose mercy. Judas chose silver. Two thieves on a cross. One chose to mock Jesus. The other one showed mercy, but also showed his interest in the divine. God allows us to choose. We get to choose a narrow and a narrow gate or a wide gate. We get to choose a narrow road or a wide road. We get to choose to be part of the big crowd or a small crowd. We get to choose to build on a rock or to build on sand. We get to choose to serve God or serve riches to be part of the sheep or to be part of the goats. We get to choose God or evil. What does grace look like? Let me tell you about Zane and Mason. Zane and Mason are kindergartners, and they sit behind me in my yellow bus. (laughs) And as they get to sit there, they have conversations that I am amazed at. Mason comes in one day and he says, look, I have 15 pennies. 
because I answered 15 questions that the teacher asked today, and I got the most pennies of anybody. I have 15 pennies. And Zane says, well, well, I have, I have millions of pennies. I have a million, two thousand, thousand, million, thousand pennies. Thousand pennies. And the next, the answer for Mason is great. Mason goes, ah, I have Legos. Peter's looking at Jesus and saying, hey, listen, I don't understand this forgiveness thing. Are we supposed to forgive seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 70 times seven. Zane had said, that's a lot of pennies. And Jesus is saying, "Ah, that's a lot of forgiveness. We get to choose who we forgive, who we provide grace to. So how does this grace thing work? Where does it come from? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Where does grace come from? For God gave. God came up with a plan for you and for me and he starts it with, here's my son. Here he is. And for 33 years, he walks on the earth. He shows us how to love. He shows us what grace looks like. I wonder in his early years how many times he put his hand on the wood and sanded it, knowing that the wood was going to be something he was going to address later. How many times had he held a nail in his hand in the carpenter's shop and said, this could be my future? How many times did he pick up the hammer and wonder what's next? What will that feel like? Let me take you to Calvary. We'll fast forward to there. Here we find a soldier grabbing the arm of Christ, making him lay down on the cross, grabbing his arm, putting his knee on his, on his arm, putting his hand out at the end of the cross. And we see Jesus laying on this rough piece of wood, looking out, At his hand. Sure, we see his hand. It looks human. It looks common. 
those long fingers, those long, strong fingers, the calluses on his, on his palm. And we look at that hand and we say, that's a common looking hand, but it's anything but. That is the hand of God laying out there. And we look at that hand, look close. Because the hand of God could have taken that soldier and thrown him off of that hill. That bicep could have contracted and lifted that guy and taken him out. You're gone. But watch the hand. The hand opens. That hand opens and the nail is prepared and the mallet is picked up. The fist doesn't clench. The hand opens. The mallet rings. The skin pops and the blood begins. A drip at first and and then a stream and more blood comes out. Let's be honest. Christ chose the nail. He made a choice there for you and me, a choice that can only be seen as the ultimate grace. He chose the nails. He chose the cross. In fact, knowing where he's supposed to go, he knew what kind of pressure it would take to pick up the mallet and pound that nail by himself. If necessary, he chose his hand to go to that cross. And why did he do that? And we all say, because he loves us. That's only partly true. That's only partly true. This is the hand of God. Think about that. This looked like a common hand, but it was anything but. This was the hand that formed Adam out of clay. The hand that carved stones of rock into tablets of truth. This is the hand that toppled Babel's tower, the hand that split the Red Sea. This is the hand that released the locust into Egypt. You see, we hadn't quite accepted that hand yet. We hadn't accepted that God is interested in our well-being, so there had to be another plan. This is the hand that defeated the enemies of David. This is the hand that encouraged the raven to feed Elijah. This is the hand that healed the blind man with homemade mud. This is the hand that broke the bread and the fish and fed 5,000 people. This is the hand 
that distracted the Pharisees and the leaders while writing in their sins in the sand and distracting their attention away from the child of God in front of them. There's grace. This hand is more than just a common hand. This hand is not ordinary. The crowd thought the nails were there to hold the Lord's hands to the, to the rough wood on the cross. That's only half true. For the hands on the cross being nailed to the cross, there was something more going on there. According to Colossians 2.14, your sins and my sins were written on the record. And I think of all of the different sins that all of us could have committed right here in this room and how long that list would be. And God's plan was to nail those sins to the cross. And he rolled up that record. The lusts of last year, the harsh words we said this morning on the way to church, the times that we've pushed people away when we could have been more merciful, all of the different times that we have failed were rolled up in a little piece of paper that ended up virtually behind the hand of Jesus Christ as the nail pierced his hand. Our sins were nailed to the cross. And they covered it. They covered our sins. Our sins, our lusts, our indiscretions were all put away. So what did Jesus see? He looked out there. Yeah, he saw the mallet. He saw the nail. And he saw the soldier's hand. And I go, why? His love would have held him against that cross. Why? Jesus saw the hand of God. Jesus saw the hand of God covering our sins. But he also saw something else. He understood grace. And as we try to go into this next week, we look at grace in somewhat of a different way because we have to provide grace for ourselves. We have to provide grace for our families. There has to be a place where we set aside our own interests and we look at providing grace to those around us. And to our community, we provide grace. And as Christians, we provide grace because we have seen the ultimate picture of what grace looks like. What did Jesus see? He saw his hand. He saw the blood. He looked 
And the amazing thing on that cross, Jesus looked and he saw you. <laughs> 